What's going on, my friends? Welcome back to Titus Talks. Today, I get to have a great conversation with a good friend of mine, Patrick Boyle. Uh, Patrick and I have worked together you know, throughout the last couple of years off and on uh, through all of my various roles. Patrick was one of the early employees at Ginkgo, still at Ginkgo. We're going to talk all about that. Um, so I'm really excited to get to have this conversation for everyone. Uh, but before we do, just to remind you, got to do the boring stuff. Um, this is a podcast, so you can find this on all your favorite platforms. Uh, Google, Apple, Spotify, what have you. You can also find the video on YouTube. Um, you find all that stuff in the links in the comments and alexandertitus.com slash podcast or slash YouTube. Take you right there. So Patrick, thanks for coming on. Yeah, first of all, can I just uh, do the honors for your YouTube audience? Yeah, uh, just absolutely. don't forget to uh, smash that uh, like and subscribe button, um, alexandertitus.com. There we go. I, I love it. See, I'm trying to recruit the people who, who know, the, know the routine. Um, so Patrick, it's awesome to chat. How's everything going in this pandemic world? Uh, well, you know, uh, it's, it's been going uh, as well as it can be, I suppose. Um, I, I think it's uh, obviously there's, you know, no shortage of things happening right now that we wish weren't happening. Um, but I think, you know, uh, being at being at Ginkgo, it's been exciting to be in a position to hopefully make an impact. Um, uh, you know, we could have a long conversation about how everyone got here, right? But I think focusing on how we move forward, I think there's a lot uh, we can do to make things better. Awesome. Well, two things to note. For anyone who's watching on YouTube, you can tell that Patrick has a much better webcam than I do. So he has ultra high definition uh, webcam and I'm still on my MacBook Pro camera. Um, and then for a little bit of context, every, for anyone who doesn't know, Ginkgo Bioworks is a synthetic biology company that engineers organisms, does a lot of really cool stuff and they've pivoted basically their entire platform to really help with COVID. So we'll get into that in a second because I want to go out, start off with our our uh, standard big broad question to Patrick and ask, Patrick, can you tell us a story? Uh, yeah, I can try. Um... Well, you know, this is a, a little bit of a story. Um, uh, well, that explains kind of my next statement, um, uh, which is that, you know, eventually I'd like to be able to retire on Mars. Um, and I think, <laughs> you know, a lot, a lot of reasons why I think that would be that would be cool. I think one from just a technical standpoint, uh, you know, one of the things that's not really talked about in terms of Mars exploration is uh, you need rockets to go there. And everyone's very excited about, you know, all the cool rockets that are being built to, to get to Mars. But you really need biology to be able to live there, right? Um, so kind of my my dream kind of retirement job is, uh, you know, being a, a local Mars bioengineer trying to, you know, maintain the, the colony. Um, but, you know, of course, have to have to be able to get there first. Um, but the other reason I brought that up is because it relates to, to my story, um, which is, you know, I feel like, um, you know, maybe one of the few people in, in the bioengineering space that uh, has some experience on what living on Mars might might be like. Um, cool. So <laughs> uh, I don't know if I've ever talked to you about this before, but uh, no, I, you know, so. I actually um, so I, I grew up in, in Alaska um, and, the, and the reason that I grew up in Alaska was, uh, you know, my parents uh were, were teachers and they were interested in like you know what's a really adventurous uh teaching assignment they could take <laughs> uh so uh where they ended up was um you know uh villages out in the yukon river delta so if you look at a map of, of alaska um basically on the uh, basically on the far uh far western end of the yukon river uh, where it meets the bering sea uh there are a lot of native villages there and, and basically the deal that the natives um 
you know, set up with the with the state is that wherever there is at least 100 people living in one place, uh, the state needs to build a school and supply teachers, right? So, um, so we lived in a village of about 100 people. Uh, my my mom taught um, uh, preschool and, and in kindergarten. Uh, my dad taught all the high school subjects, um, and we lived wow. out in these small small villages that uh, could only be reached by by plane or by boat. Um, you know, a few hundred miles away from the nearest road. Um, so I feel like. You know, living through a bunch of winters out, out there, um, oh, you know, <laughs> near the Bering Sea kind of prepared me for what um, Mars might be like. So, Oh, man, that's crazy. Well, my sister's a first grade teacher and is trying to deal with uh, teaching Zoom, first grade over Zoom right now. So I think she'd probably rather be in a small village in Alaska uh, in, than dealing with Microsoft Teams and a bunch of first graders. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, say that now until uh, until your food shipment doesn't show up, and then <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's the middle of winter and it's been dark forever. Yeah, like there's there's pros and cons to everything. Um, well, yeah, I hadn't heard that. So, how did you go from growing up in a small village in Alaska to getting into bio and biotech and bioengineering stuff? Uh, yeah, well, it was a uh, you know a little bit of a um, it wasn't a, a kind of a straight line, uh, of course. I think um, you know one of the things uh, about being out there, um, and you know also related to you know me wanting to be on Mars someday is uh, we would fly in a lot of like small uh, bush planes, so like these uh, six seater um, airplanes. Um, and I've always thought that aerospace was cool. So my original plan was actually to be an aerospace engineer um, and, and trained to be an astronaut. Um, in, in high school is actually the first time I started caring about biology at all. Um, essentially because I think most people who don't um, uh, kind of engage with modern biology um, think that biology is all about kind of cataloging, you know, flowers and dinosaurs and other living things, right? It's a, you know, exercise and kind of recording what, what's out there, right? And I think, you know, those of us who have been involved with the field um, uh, know that it's much deeper than that, um, not only in the kind of description of, of plants and animals and figuring out how they actually work, um, but high school is really when I got engaged with multiple, or sorry, with uh, molecular biology for the first time. And, you know, kind of learning that underneath uh, everything that we could observe is this whole, uh, you know, kind of nano machine <laughs> uh, uh, kind of environment that uh, that we didn't really have a good handle on. And we just uh, when I was in high school, the human genome had just been sequenced. Um, that's really when I started thinking that, you know, biology might be something worth uh, worth looking into. Um, of course, I promptly ignored that um, and then went to went to school. Uh, intending to be an aerospace engineer. So I ended up at, uh, at MIT in the early 2000s. Um, and that's really what, where I got to engage with biology again. Um, and, and really seeing what was happening at MIT back then uh, really convinced me that, you know, aerospace is cool and all like, uh, you know, it's uh, always going to be something that I enjoy and will pay attention to. Uh, but biology was really the technology for the 21st century. Um, so basically, um, uh, threw everything into into biology from that point forward. Uh, carried that on through uh, through my PhD training. Um, always with the eye of, of trying to get back to engineering, but from the biology perspective. Yeah. Uh, so you did you go to a tiny high school as well? Uh, well, so uh, we we moved to uh, to a bigger town for high school, and, and this is uh, this is relevant uh, because uh, the mayor of my town. Um, and some of her kids uh, went to school uh, with us. Was uh, Sarah Palin? Um, so, <laughs> so that that was my first experience with her. With her, she was our um, the mayor of our town of uh, about five thousand people. Um, but but yeah, we moved to the moved to the quote you know bigger bigger city to be able to uh, you know 
prep for college and stuff like that. Yeah, small village to big city to actually to the heart of kind of the biotech world in Boston. Yeah, and you know, like um, I didn't even realize that at the time. I just thought MIT was a cool engineering school, and you yeah. know, of course, yeah. uh, <laughs> learned no a lot about biology. That. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so you then went to grad school. You know, you're biological engineer, but then you didn't go into academia, and you also didn't go join you know, a big drug company or something, you joined Ginkgo, which is at the time, I would assume a company that almost no one had ever heard of because it had, what, the five founders and no one else? So how- Yeah, yeah, when I joined it was, uh, it was the, the five founders and, and a handful of other folks. Um, uh, I think, yeah, for me, um, again, it wasn't a straight line. I actually kind of assumed I was going to do an academic career. Um, and in fact, you know, when I even when I started grad school, I wasn't sure if I was going to be more of a kind of pure basic scientist or a bioengineer. Uh, it was actually running into uh, the person who ended up being my PI in grad school, Pam Silver, um, who convinced me that this new synthetic biology thing would be uh, <laughs> worth working on. So, you know, uh, synthetic biology in the early mid 2000s is a very small community. Um, so even though um, you know I was just starting my PhD in around 2006, uh, that's when I got to meet a lot of the folks I'd end up working with later at Ginkgo. So for example, you know when when synthetic biology was really just getting started, um, you know Tom Knight, who's a who's a founder of Ginkgo, he was a professor in electrical engineering at MIT at the time. Uh, he had started talking to uh, Drew Endy as he was thinking about setting up a lab in, in bioengineering, and uh, Pam Pam Silver, my my PI at Harvard. Uh, was really the first biologist who really engaged with them um, because at that time people didn't take synthetic biology very very seriously they thought it was you know uh, people who are uh, you know not very serious about biology trying to shoehorn electrical engineering principles uh, in, in, into biology and you know Pam was the first biologist who really got involved with that crowd and said you know uh, there is something really interesting we, we could do here um, so you know getting uh, getting started in Pam's lab um, uh, basically set me down this path to working on uh, applied biology for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, you know, and again, you know, being a small world, uh, you know, uh, Tom Knight uh, spent some time uh, in, in Pam's lab uh, while I was there. Just, uh, uh, you know, what people uh, don't, uh, don't really know about Tom is that he really took learning about biology seriously. So he basically um, trained himself. He got a PhD in biology, but just by taking classes, working at the bench, um, you know, et cetera. Um, but, you know, really from from that early, early time, I didn't realize it at the time, but I had started working with, you know, the folks who would, who would end up uh, founding founding Ginkgo. I think even even through my PhD, though, I was still thinking that I was going to uh, basically set up an academic lab to study uh, synthetic biology. Um, uh, one of the kind of persistent voices in my ear that that was a bad idea <laughs> was uh, Jason Kelly, the CEO of Ginkgo. Um, you know, he was uh, uh, he was very adamant, and anyone who's who's met uh, Jason uh, knows that he's always been convinced that you know Ginkgo is going to be this um, really powerful company shaping the future of engineered biology. I think the difference between now and 2010 and uh, when I or 2008 when Ginkgo started is that many more people believe him now, right? Yeah. But, but he's always been <laughs> uh, kind of convinced that that would be the case. Um, so, kind of my uh, yeah my journey to Ginkgo through grad school really came from. You know, working with the working with the Ginkgo founders as they're getting uh, Ginkgo up and running, uh, kind of building a hypothesis for what I want to do next, and kind of balancing between, uh, you know, working at Ginkgo, uh, continuing my academic career. Uh, those are kind of options A and B. I actually chose option C, which was try to start my own company. 
And you know, as I was going through the motions of doing that and trying to figure out what what this company would do, like Ginkgo ended up checking all the boxes for what I wanted, you know, the company that I started to do. Um, and it was obviously very very early, but they all had all the ingredients um, uh, there uh, uh, that I wanted to see in a bioengineering company. So that that was really convinced me uh, that Ginkgo was the the right place to be. Was that you know, here's a group of people who've been working for, you know, for years now trying to make this a reality. Um, and it turned out that, you know, the company I really wanted to make uh, was essentially Ginkgo already. So um, that got me there. That's awesome. Um, so, but what was it like joining? So for people who are trying to figure out, you know, if I want to join a startup or a, you know, big Merck, Sanofi kind of size company, Genentech, what was it like joining a super early stage company, you know, like tiny no people, very little resources, trying to figure out a hypothesis for what a company should be. What's that like? Yeah. And, you know, I actually did, um, uh, I did a summer, summer internship at, at, uh, you know, a big pharma company to try and figure out what that, that was like. And what I liked, you know, a lot about Genko versus, versus big pharma, like, as you can tell, I like, um, uncharted territory. Yeah. Alaska, right. <laughs> Mars, biology. Right. Exactly. And, and, you know, um, you know, I could see myself having a, a pretty good career in, in in a pharma company, but I think, you know, both both pharma and academia felt like the career track was kind of linear and mapped out. And I know that's not fair to either of those, those fields. I have like really good friends who have ch chosen those tracks. Um, but what I really liked about Ginkgo was that, um, you know, we really had to define what, what to do next at every stage, right? So when I joined Ginkgo in 2012, uh, like I said, it was uh, the founders, uh, a handful of us who had just gotten started full, full time, uh, uh, as well as um, a, 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 we've had a really great um, internship program. We call them Padawans. Um, so, you know, um, uh, and, you know, showed up in, in, in 2012. And, and basically one of the things that I, that I liked about um, kind of the 2012 era Ginkgo that convinced me it was time to join was that um, we had just started to identify where kind of the first kind of market for engineered organisms would, would be for us, right? Yeah. So um, I think that was a, what, what people don't, don't realize about, you know, the Ginkgo mission is that, you know, we're not really tied to any one product. Um, we're just really excited about building a platform that enables people to, to make whatever product can be made by biology. So, you know, our, our first choices there are really just around convenience. Like what's the What's the market where we could have an impact early um, uh, with engineered biology that makes the most sense? Uh, so when I joined, uh, we just started talking to flavor and fragrance companies. Uh, the idea being that these are like uh, kind of interesting, high value products where biology was a real value add in terms of manufacturing them. But, you know, always at that time that was seen as, a, you know, the first stepping stone into kind of a broader commercial market. That's yeah. That and, you know, fragrance isn't uh, flavors are billions of dollars every year. Um, can you for give us a 30 second synopsis of what synthetic biology is for, for the listeners who might come in out of the blue and uh, be a little lost about what you actually do? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, what everyone says about synthetic biology is that it's, you know, making biology easier to engineer. Uh, but for folks who aren't super familiar with biology, what does that what does that really mean? Uh, one of the things that, that we find exciting about um, biology is that it's programmable. 
So if you've heard of, of DNA, and I see you have a you know DNA helix behind you, so um, uh, so you know DNA is really the programmable substrate of, of biology, right? So if you watch Jurassic Park, um, you know that they found DNA in a mosquito and they put it into uh, you know eggs and made dinosaurs from that. Uh, basically, all living things are programmed by by DNA. So at Ginkgo, we combine kind of the two basic. Uh, technologies you need to make anything programmable. You need to be able to read that code and then write it. Um, so what Ginkgo does is it uses software and automation uh, to read and write uh, thousands of different uh, DNA programs um, and use them to uh, design new uh, new functional organisms for our customers. So you know, actually, my uh, my first job at Ginkgo was building out our our design team. Uh, which at the uh, which is well, I was going to say at the time, which is still uh, you know in the in the business of uh, basically being the DNA programmers for for the company. So uh, you know one of the things that that the design team does is design uh, new uh, new genes and new genetic pathways for all of our projects. The big difference between uh, what might happen in uh, you know a PhD lab like uh, is that. In my PhD, I would build new genetic programs by pipetting small amounts of liquid around by hand. Um, so I build, uh, I, I designed and synthesized six genes over the course of my PhD, which was a lot uh, at the time. Um, at Ginkgo, what we uh, we use software um, and DNA synthesis to write lots of DNA. Um, so we're actually using uh, software and robotics to write thousands of uh, genetic programs every every month. So you know, it, it's really taking you know what I did at grad school, uh, but applying. Um, economies of scale and a lot of automation to it. Oh, that's awesome! And and to clarify, just for everyone again, because I have I have a lot of readers or listeners, sorry, um, who a lot are biologists and a lot who aren't. So when you mean engineer organisms, we're talking about microorganisms, right? Uh, yeah, well, so uh, we, we started off in, in uh, basic microorganisms. Uh, so the one that uh, perhaps the most people are familiar with is, is yeast, right? Um, so especially over the pandemic, people have been uh, getting more acquainted with yeast through, you know, bread making and, and, and beer making. Um, uh, yeast is really the first uh, domesticated microbe, right? So um, it's actually a very common organism to use in industry where you basically reprogram the yeast to make something besides beer. So when I mentioned that we're making flavors and fragrances, literally what we're doing is reprogramming yeast to stop making beer and to make uh, fragrances uh, on demand, right? Um, but I said, you know, we, we started in, in, in things like yeast, but actually today we uh, engineer uh, dozens of microorganisms um, as well as mammalian cells, uh, which is extremely important for uh, developing better therapeutics and, and biologics and um, other applications in the pharma space. Cool. I, I appreciate that because I know that per, I, can, I can hear my mother-in-law uh, saying, can you explain to me what synthetic biology is? So that's for you, Holly, <laughs> just for you. Um, <laughs> and so one of the things that you and I have talked about, and I spent a lot of time talking about here is how to be successful in biotech and you know you got a phd i got a phd but that doesn't always have to be the route um and you and i have talked a lot about how you struggle to hire enough people because there's uh you know so what are your thoughts are around that um kind of the academic route or biotech route or you have any you have any advice for people in that regard well, you know, I think one of the things that's most exciting about synthetic biology today is that it's really defining a new sector of the economy, um, which means, uh, you know, for for the folks who care about such things, means that uh, hopefully we're creating a lot of new jobs, <laughs> right? Um, and, and one of the things that um, you know I really envy folks who are, um, you know, 
in, in college today because the uh, prospects for the types of jobs you can do with a biology degree are you know far more interesting than they were when, when I got started, <laughs> right? Um, you know, I mentioned uh, you know trying out pharma. Um, you know, I was you know naive at the time, but I really thought my choices were you know get a job as a as a technician in, in pharma or go to grad school, and that was it at the time. Um, I, I think what's exciting about biology becoming an engineering discipline. Uh, is much like other um, uh, engineering disciplines, uh, you know, you don't really need a PhD uh, to really um, build cool things with with biology, right? You know, most most engineering disciplines, you get a PhD because you're interested in the um, kind of academic study of your uh, discipline, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think as as biology becomes more and more of a engineering and manufacturing discipline. Uh, there's going to be a lot more room for uh, people who are uh, trained with engineering degrees, who are uh, interested in manufacturing, all sorts of like, you know, essentially they have a lot more options coming out of uh, undergrad than uh, than I did. And I think what was exciting for those folks is, you know, whatever job description you get coming out of your bachelor's degree, you know, in this industry, we're creating a new uh, we're creating a new sector of the economy. Right. So it's highly likely that your job description is incomplete and you get to kind of define you know, almost an entirely uh, new type of job, right? As you're joining these types of companies. Yeah, that's exciting. When I graduated from college with a degree in biochemistry, uh, the most productive thing I could do with it was end up as a recruiter at a software company in Silicon Valley. <laughs> 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 Nothing to do with biology <laughs> at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, I agree that the just the number of opportunities and the kind of breadth of opportunities now for anyone, whether you have a bachelor's, master's, PhD, and even more so, uh, in the manufacturing space and the kind of technical disciplines, you know, it's going to be a whole new field of trades as well. Being able to, you could be a carpenter, an electrician, uh, you know, a really awesome biology laboratory technician who's doing all kinds of phenomenal stuff, you know, starting to get much more of that master craft, if you will. Similar to right. brewers, right? The whole career track of, of master brewers. You don't need a PhD to make phenomenal beer and award winning beer, but that's really. You know, without knowing all the details behind the genetic engineering, you're you're influencing yeast and flavors to do what you want. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, well, I think the details of biological engineering are, are getting more and more accessible. Right. I think, um, you know, you've probably talked about the iGEM competition before the International Genetically Engineered Machines competition. You know, there are high school um, teams in that competition that are doing things that would have been an entire Ph.D., uh, just five years ago, right? And I, I think, you know, two things there, right? One is very exciting, right? You know, uh, undergrads and high school students have much better ideas of what biology might be capable of than those of us who have been around forever, right? Because we get set in our ways. Um, so it's always very exciting to see what they do. Um, and the other thing is, uh, you know, if I were in that position, I'd just be very impatient, right? Let's say that your your you know your objective is to uh, have a successful academic career. The default path in biology is six-year PhD, four-year postdoc, and then hopefully uh, you can, uh, you know, get a tenure-track position, and those are extremely competitive, right? Um, what I'd like to see, uh, even for people who intend to end up in academia long-term, um, is that, you know, uh, taking the route through industry, um, getting better at bioengineering from an industry perspective, I think will be a really big value add for the bioengineering departments of the, of the future, right? If you look at other engineering disciplines, they often have faculty members who have a lot of um, uh, industry experience. So I think, you know, it's just the, um, 
the route to that uh, to the default academic track is 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 very long, and yeah. um, you know, there's I don't see any reason why that should be the only track to take there. Yeah, well, I obviously completely agree. I, I talk about this a lot, but I also absolutely uh, valued every the route that I took. So I just think there's so many cool routes to take. Um, so my last question is always, you know, it doesn't have to be specific to any one thing, but do you have what's the general kind of advice that you give to people when people ask you for advice in life? Hmm. That's, that's, uh, that's interesting. Um, well, uh, if you're asking me for life advice, you should ask how you ended up there <laughs> in the first place. <laughs> Hopefully there are better people to give, give advice. Uh, but if I think about, you know, um, uh, what I've really enjoyed about my, my career so far, um, is that, um, you know, I've always been looking for, uh, kind of the right team of people to work with. Right. I think, um, one of the things I, I've seen that a lot of young scientists, um, uh, you know, think about a lot is they're always looking for uh, the right mentor and, and good mentorship, right? Which is the right thing to do. You really, uh, you know, want to have that that sort of training. Um, and certainly, you know, uh, uh, both my, you know, the PIs I've worked for and managers I've worked for have all been, been excellent. Um, but I think, you know, when a lot of people think about mentorship, they're thinking about, uh, you know, I need a boss who's going to, you know, teach me how to do everything, right? Um, and, and you know what? What I found has been uh, really exciting about uh, you know my career so far is that I've learned just as much uh, from the folks that I work with, from my peers, uh, you know, the postdocs that I worked with when I was uh, you know in grad school, um, people in completely different departments at, at at Ginkgo who are experts in automation and, and software. Um, I, I think it's really about the people that you surround yourself with as much as your your mentor, your kind of primary mentor. Um, that's really important, especially early career. Um, I, I think, you know, one example there, you know, I mentioned, you know, uh, that I you know, started uh, talking with and working with the Ginkgo founders like long before I joined Ginkgo. Another example of that is, uh, you know, some of the folks I work with in grad school, I'm still working with today. So um, uh, Christina Agapakis, who's uh, somebody who should be on this podcast yeah, at some I, point. So uh, so we were actually, uh, we joined the same lab uh, in grad school. We were actually, uh, we were actually uh, baymates, so we had adjacent benches. Um, so a lot of the things that we're doing today are, are ideas that were hatched in like 2006, 2007 when we first started working together. Um, I think what, what's been really interesting about that experience and being at Ginkgo is that uh, surrounding yourself with like interesting creative people uh, makes you uh, makes you better at what you want to do. Um, so I think that, that was also, uh, you know, a, a big piece of advice for me is, um, you know, make sure that you're working with people that um, are able to uh, help you think about things differently than you than you normally would. Um, so, you know, I think it was uh, like in, in grad school, you know, uh, Christina did a art fellowship where she started making cheese cultured from the human body. Right. <laughs> and that was that was a bit of a deviation from what our, you know, PhD, our original PhD thesis was supposed to be on, which is bioenergy. Right. Um, uh, but it was a super interesting, valuable experience where, you know, we all got to engage with different different types of people. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of early career scientists in particular uh, get locked into this idea of like kind of linear advancement. Right. Which is like I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to study a particular technique in undergrad. I'm going to join the premier lab that does that for my Ph.D. And then I'm going to start a start a lab, you know, working on that kind of approach, um, you know, for my uh, for my tenure track kind of research, right? And I think 
Um, and many people are, are successful at that. But I think if you're not um, kind of looking for those kind of alternate uh, branches, uh, you're going to miss out on some really interesting stuff. And, you know, for me, it's been following those branches that got me where I am today. Well, I completely agree. I think that the ones that you don't expect are oftentimes just as fun or if not even more fun and enlightening in, in ways that you could never have predicted. Yeah, I, I think it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting to, um, uh, I don't know, like never get bored. <laughs> That's what I say. Uh, that is the succinct, succinct advice of Patrick Boyle. Never get bored. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Patrick, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you uh, joining and chatting. Um, your career has been awesome coming from, you know, tiny, tiny, small town Alaska to, you know, one of the leading organizations in your field. Um, it's pretty cool. I appreciate you, you chatting with us. Thanks. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And uh, maybe we'll have our, you know, follow up chat on Mars at some point. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah, the next next season, next time Patrick's on, we're going to be uh, hosting from Mars. Uh, yeah, you so, got to go fast. You can't, uh, you know, can't wait for somebody else to figure that out. Exactly. Well, just for everyone to remember, um, this is a podcast, so you can find it on all your favorite spots. Uh, it's Titus Talks. You can find it on Apple, Google, Spotify. It's also on YouTube, so you can find both of those at alexandertitus.com slash podcasts or alexandertitus.com slash YouTube. Definitely make sure you, you like it, you leave a five-star review, and you tell us what you like about it so we can do more of that. So again, Patrick, thanks for joining. Awesome. Good to be here.